Hello, this is Laurie Kaufman, author of The Lens and the Looker. This is the second of eight free installments of The Lens and the Looker, volume one in the Verona Trilogy. To find out how to get all the other installments, go to my website, www.lauriekaufman.com. That's www.lauriekaufman.com. Enjoy! Chapter 10 Crack! Shamira winced as she saw the heavy metal cleaver come down hard on the leg joint of a sheep. Crack! It went again, and she saw the leg separate from the carcass's hip. Several tiny spurts of blood had sprayed up and splattered the burly man's apron. The butcher turned his attention to the signora. Signor Cagliari, buongiorno, the butcher greeted. Thunk! He embedded his implement deep into the block for safekeeping. Then he held out both hands. God has made a wonderful day for us today, hey? This master's hands were red, too, but not with Osito del Foro. How is your good husband and my friend, Master Cagliari? Master Sacchetti, how nice of you to ask. He is well. And your good wife and children, how fare they? Oh, another mouth to feed soon. Soon there will be eleven. Shamira's eyebrows raised. Another blessing from God. Such luck, Master Sacchetti, the signora said. Yes, yes, we are truly blessed. The master butcher turned and looked at a boy of perhaps nine. He had just removed a chicken from a wooden cage and was holding it gently, stroking its neck. Angelo, Sachetti boomed. I told you to cut off its head, not caress it. Now hurry up, useless son. There's work to be done. The little boy's face changed not at all at the rebuke. He stopped stroking the chicken and grasped its feet. As he stood up, the animal's body fell. Its wings beat the air, and it clucked wildly. Angelo sauntered to a chopping block behind his father. Shamira followed the boy with fascinated horror as the butcher continued. Signora Cagliari, he said, wiping his hands on his bloody apron, how may I be of a service? I have some wonderful liver of calf today. Oh, and I have beef hearts, your husband's favorite. Shamira had to lean to one side to see around the butcher and continue watching the boy and chicken. Angelo had the fowl's wings contained, and it was lying on its side on the block. The boy put his hand on the bird's neck and smoothed its feathers gently, as if it were a pet. Shamira smiled. "'Or I have a wonderful sausage from pig and beef,' the butcher went on, "'all stuffed in sheep's intestine. The taste of the fat, it melts in the mouth.' Shamira could hear the sales pitch vaguely, but couldn't take her eyes off the boy and chicken. Her family got most of their animal protein from wild game. And they wouldn't dare have a child kill an animal, she thought. This is all a setup. No, no, nothing so exotic as beef heart, the signora continued. I was thinking of something simple. We have three more mouths to feed. House guests, why not the beef heart to spoil your visitors? The bird was now quieted and still. Angelo kept one hand on the bird, and the other slowly moved to his side. 
Shimira's smile vanished as Angelo picked up another cleaver from the ground and lifted it over the bird. No, not guests, the signora answered. We have two new apprentices and a kitchen girl. This is Carmela. She just arrived from... Uh, Carmela, what in the world is the matter? Shimira was tugging on Signora Cagliari's sleeve frantically. The boy, the boy, the bird, the boy is going to... Clabunk! The cleaver came down and cut the chicken's head off in one blow. Shamira blanched. "'There's the idea,' Mistress Cagliari said cheerfully. "'We'll have fresh chicken.' A dizzy Shamira felt the well-trained actor grab her arm and start leading her away before the butcher disemboweled their upcoming dinner. "'We shall be back soon to pick up our meal.' "'Of course, signora,' Signor Sacchetti said in a courtly fashion, and then shouted, "'Angelo, don't leave the merchandise lying in the dust. It's sold!' Shamira felt herself being led through a market filled with stalls. In her haze, she heard the signora speaking in a friendly sing-song manner. "'Yes, we shall make chicken and fennel for dinner. Have you made that before, my dear?' "'He... he killed the bird.' "'Yes, it will be a good first meal for you and the boys. "'We do not have meat every day, you know, but this is a special occasion.' "'He chopped off that poor chicken's head. "'And the Lord gave man dominion of all the land and creatures upon it, "'including chickens,' she laughed. "'It will be delicious. Come, we've much to do. Keep your eyes open.' I want to be able to send you here alone in the future. Chapter 11 The market was a noisy, friendly place, a festival for the eyes, ears, and nose. There were hundreds of stalls with many medieval specialists working in them. Shamira, remembering what she had learned in school about history camps, was amazed at the thought that every one of these hundreds of enactors had chosen, as their avocation, to perform a craft in the same way it had been done a thousand years before they were all born. The first place that Signora steered them was a foodstuff stall. Buongiorno, Flamenta, the Signora said. This is Carmela, my new kitchen girl. Shamira felt perturbed about being the centre of attention in this play story and frowned. "'You will see her come in the future to shop. Make sure you give her good produce like you do for me.' "'So nice to meet you, Carmela,' Viamenta said. "'Welcome to Verona.' "'Hi,' Shamira responded blandly. Here they bought raw shelled almonds, dried fennel, salt, black peppercorns, sticks of cinnamon, ginger root, cloves, and some delicate saffron threads. Just down the row of stalls, they entered a fresh produce booth where the signora purchased fresh dill and parsley. Each herb was bundled with a sprig of itself wound around the bunch. Shamira found it hard to keep her steely exterior in the bakery, though. She loved the aroma of freshly baked bread. This wasn't a stall, but a stone house with a huge open oven dominating its interior. Loaves at all stages of production were around her. There was dough being mixed, kneaded, left to rise, and finally, a man with a sharp wooden knife making two slits at the top of the risen loaves just before they were put into the brick oven on a long-handled spatula. "'Why are they carving an X on the top of the bread?' Shimira asked. 
That's not an X, answered a smiling flower-covered baker. That's the cross of Cristo. When the loaves come out of the oven, it is like they had been blessed. The two slices, when baked, turn into the cross of our Lord. They bought four large round loaves. The chicken was plucked, gutted, and waiting for them by the time they got back to the butcher's. Signor Sacchetti had wrapped it in rough burlap cloth for carrying. The signora took and held it out to Shamira. Shamira then held it as carefully as possible so as not to touch any of the raw flesh. Really, Carmela, I've never met a farm girl so squeamish about a little blood, the signora said. As they made their way down the narrow city streets, they passed many people. Some were cleaning out their houses with the doors and windows open to the air, or standing about having conversations with their neighbors. There were also itinerant vendors and hawkers, going door to door and selling their wares, or just shouting about what they had to sell. One vendor in particular was standing in the middle of the road. He wore his goods about himself from head to foot. "'Ah, there's Sancho,' the signora said. "'My husband's salesman.' Sancho had spectacles tied with spring all over his threadbare doublet, some single lens, some double. Around his neck hung an open display box with more spectacles in segregated compartments. His red pipe was wrapped around his head like a turban. He was speaking in an animated fashion to a magnificently dressed gentleman. "'Look who he's speaking with,' the signora continued. "'It's the Podesta della Scala himself.' Sancho greeted the signora effusively, and she curtsied to Della Scala. The gentleman was wearing a black roll-brim hat made of fine velvet. His face was lean, with a long, delicate nose. He had sorrowful eyes and a wide, thin mouth. His hair was blunt-cut at his jawline. His well-fit doublet, bray, and shows were made from the same fabric as the hat. Everything was trimmed with gold thread. Underneath the doublet was a beautiful linen tunic— Around his neck was a heavy gold chain and jeweled medallion. His boots were soft black leather. Signora Cagliari, Podesta della Scala said, so nice to see you. I was just hearing from your man that my new discs for the eyes are ready. Podesta Mastino della Scala, it is nice to see you too. Yes, my husband finished your very special order yesterday. They sit waiting for you. "'Oh, but my husband said you were in Padua until the week's end.' "'My business was concluded early, and so I am at hand in our fair Verona.' "'Wait till you see your discs for the eyes, Excellency,' Sancho, the salesman, said in his high-pitched nasal voice. "'My master made them with the most beautifully polished tortoiseshell frames I have ever laid my eyes on. "'He imported them all the way from Venice, just for you.' "'Shall I deliver them, or would you like to take them from the master's hand?' "'I have business to take care of at the palace this morning, "'but I shall attend to your master's shop just afternoon.' "'My husband took extra pains in the polishing of your lenses, Excellency. "'They lie upon a velvet cloth on his work-table. "'Oh, signor, this is Carmela, my new house-girl.' "'Sancho beamed at this bit of news.' "'Oh, greetings, Carmela. Welcome to the family,' Shamira bit her bottom lip. The Podesta nodded graciously at Shamira. "'Welcome to my Verona, Carmela. Yes, you are indeed with a very good family.' "'Yeah, like—hi.'
"'We must get back home to prepare dinner, Excellency,' the Signora said. "'I shall tell my husband to expect you.' "'Very well, Signora,' Podesta de la Scala said. "'I look forward to seeing my beautiful spectacles.'" Chapter 12 "'Maruccio, what have you done?' the master shouted. "'Those were the Podesta's discs for the eyes. "'What, what have you got to say for yourself?' Lincoln looked down at the shards of broken crystal strewn about the floor. Only one of the lenses was ruined, and the frames were still intact. He looked up at the contorted face of the master. "'It could have been worse,' he suggested, trying to joke. "'Sorry,' he added, trying to see if that was the right thing to say. But when Lincoln looked into the master's eyes, he could see this was not the same friendly person of a few moments earlier. This was a very angry man. "'The Podestas discs for the eyes! You have broken the Podestas discs for the eyes!' he cried, visibly shaking. "'The finest lenses I ever made, and look!' The master bent down and picked up the frames, holding them right under Lincoln's nose." The glass shards of the broken lens cut into the enactor's finger, and big, red drops of blood appeared close to Lincoln's face. The big man ignored the blood and the pain that must have come with it. He just glared at Lincoln and continued screaming, "'An apprentice does what he's told! An apprentice does not fool around with valuable things! An apprentice is lucky to have a master who will feed and protect him!' "'Then feed me!' Lincoln screamed back. "'I'm starving!' The master grabbed the front of Lincoln's tunic in a big ball. It partially choked the young teen. His eyes bulged out at the now grossly contorted face of the enactor. "'You will do what I say, and you will do it when I say so!' He pushed Lincoln back against the wall. "'Do you understand me?' Lincoln didn't, couldn't answer. "'Do you understand?' the master repeated. Handsome was at the enactor's side. "'Please, Master Cagliari, he made a foolish mistake. He won't do it again. I'll watch out for him. Please!' The big man stood with the fierce look still in his eye. Then Lincoln heard a voice in his ear. It was Pan, close enough by Handsome's shoulder to send a Masonic message. "'Master Lincoln, please relax. This is not the way to get the better of these people. You are playing right into their hands. Relax, young master. Relax. Say you're sorry.' "'Say I'm sorry,' Lincoln replied out loud. "'He's choking me.' "'What?' the master asked. "'Say you're sorry, foolish young master. Say it like you mean it. Say, Master Cagliari, please forgive me. I'm sorry.' "'No way!' Lincoln said. "'What did you say?' the master asked. "'What did he say?' "'I think he means he's sorry, Master Cagliari,' Handsome said. "'Isn't that what you mean?' he added suggestively. "'Say it,' whispered Pan. "'Say what I told you to if you want to disrupt in the end.' "'I'm... I'm sorry, Master Cagliari,' Lincoln said flatly. "'Please, please forgive me.' Master Cagliari relaxed his grip, though not his scowl. He eyed Lincoln suspiciously. "'Pick up a broom and clean up properly. You're not to touch anything to do with making lenses until I say. You, Romero, you will act as my assistant. We must make a replacement lens. The Podesta returns at the end of the week, and I want him to have the finest discs for the eyes.' Over the next half hour, 
and increasingly hungry Lincoln watched handsome work with Master Cagliari. The master worked smoothly and methodically, and as one process was completed, there was handsome, proper tool in hand, ready to hand it over. Chapter 13 Anuncia of black peppercorns, cinnamon stick, peeled ginger, half a quarter oncia of cloves, and a quarter of saffron stamens. These were the ingredients the Signora had instructed Chimera to grind in a big stone mortar. Pestle in hand, Chimera worked with the same unwavering attention she would if she were doing one of her drawings. This was so she didn't have to look up and watch the enactor cut up the chicken. She couldn't believe how gooey, sticky, and disgusting the yellow chicken fat was on the Signora's hands. Carmela, don't grind the spices into a powder. Flaky. The mixture, she should be flaky. Shamira looked up cautiously and saw that the Signora had finished cutting up the chicken and was wiping her hands. There's no way I'm going to be able to eat this meal, she thought. Like Lincoln, Shamira also had to be shown how to build a fire. The fireplace was wide and high, but not very deep. There was a built-in brick shelf with a hand-wrought metal grate. Signora Cagliari had a large cast-iron skillet heating on it. She scooped in two large spoonfuls of a congealed grayish substance, which melted and bubbled away. "'What's that?' Shimura asked, crinkling her nose. "'You don't even know what lard is.' "'Lard?' she repeated, saying the word as it might taste. "'What is it?' "'Fat. Fat from the cow and pig and chicken to cook in. Oh, Carmela!' Shamira watched as the Signora put the chicken into the bubbling pan, moving each piece around so it didn't burn. She poked the fire till it turned into a homogeneous bed of coals. Soon the chicken parts didn't look like torn pieces of flesh, but were golden brown. Signora Cagliari then took a pitcher of water and poured it in the pan till it was halfway up the meat. She covered the pan with a heavy lid and left it to simmer. For the next step, Shamira was told to measure out the better part of a cup of raw almonds, and was shown how to hold and use a very sharp knife to chop them without cutting herself. Then she cut up a handful of fennel and parsley. While Shamira was prepping all this, the Signora began a woman-to-woman -woman talk with her. Carmela, I can see you are not a stupid girl, but you don't know much about cooking or keeping a house, eh? I will teach you if you let me. Sure, yeah, that's fine. Since all of this was a history camp ruse, Shamira didn't see the point in getting into lengthy conversation about it. Just agree with everything, she thought. But she had to admit that this medieval cooking, except for the raw chicken, appeared to be quite creative, almost like drawing. They mixed the chopped almonds, fennel, and parsley in a bowl. The Signora added some of the spice mixture Shamira had been grinding. Carmela, we save this mixture in a special spice jar with a cork in it. We'll use it in lots of recipes. For when the meat, she's not as fresh as today, the spices, you know, hide the bad meat taste. Shamira grimaced at the thought of eating meat that was turning. When the chicken was ready, the Signora removed the frying pan lid and, using a long fork, transferred the chicken onto a plate on the top of the hearth. The chicken looked much better than earlier, but Chimera still had in her mind the image of the squawking feathered animal a short while earlier. Now, Carmela, add the fennel, almonds, and spices into the broth and stir. While Chimera did this, the enactor added wood to the fire. As the heat increased, the mixture of vegetables and spices began to bubble and thicken. 
Shamira inhaled deeply. The house smelled fabulous. Then Senora had Shamira slide the pan to the side of the grate to take it off the hottest part of the coals. Leave the lid off so the sauce she becomes nice and thick. We pour it over the chicken when we serve the men, eh? Now, let's warm the bread and set the table. This was going to be a big meal. The Senora had explained how there were usually only two meals per day, the morning dinner meal being the biggest. When people got up, they sometimes would have a little something. Repast, it was called. But now they were piling the table with olives, olive oil, cheeses, and two of the big loaves of bread. Chapter 14 Frickin' frackin' stupid situation, Lincoln mumbled as he tagged behind the others toward the house. Handsome, supposedly now the master's favorite, walked directly behind the big guy. Come on! the master said, turning and looking at Lincoln. Don't dawdle. We must get back to work right after dinner. To make up for your mistake. Lincoln shook with anger, his fist balled up at his side. Hold your tongue, Master Lincoln. Hold your tongue, he heard Pan's voice whisper in his ear. Stupid history camp, Lincoln mumbled again under his breath. Then, as they got to the house, Lincoln's nose caught a whiff of the food. His stomach growled noisily. Then he watched the master open the door to the house and stop. The big man nodded at Handsome to go in, but when Lincoln went to follow, he felt the master's big hand on his chest. Maruccio, why should I feed you?' he asked. "'Cause I'm hungry, that's why!' He looked past the master and saw a nicely set table with big loaves of bread on it. With the door open, the smell of the beautifully cooked chicken intensified his hunger. "'Have you earned your food?' the master challenged, stepping to block Lincoln's view of the table. "'Have you earned your daily bread?' "'I'm hungry. You gotta feed me and make sure I don't get hurt.' "'Is that what you think?' the master asked. Then, with a jerk of his head, he let him pass. Shamira looked up as the boys entered the room. She could tell something had changed, but nobody said a word.' The mistress put another chicken piece on a plate, and Shamira had to get back to ladling the now-thick gravy. The master plopped down in his chair at the head of the table. "'So, how was the first morning?' the signora asked in a sing-song manner. "'I don't want to talk about it,' the master said gruffly. "'It'll ruin my dinner. Sit, all of you. Maruccio's hungry. Romero, sit by me,' he said, pointing to the table's bench to his left. "'You?' he said to Lincoln, the end of the bench. The signora stood, fork in hand, surveying the frosty mood in the room. Woman, are you going to stand there till the Messiah returns? The master shouted. Carmela, apply the gravy, the mistress said, hastily putting another plate in front of Shamira. Hurry up, hurry. Shamira began ladling. The master looked at what it was being served. Chicken! Why such a sumptuous dinner? he asked. "'Why not?' the signora said haughtily. The master grunted. Then he poured olive oil on the side of his plate, took a slice of the bread, and pulled it through the oil. He put it in his mouth. Mm, "'Good,' he said, somewhat mollified. "'Giuseppe, the prayer!' the signora scolded. "'God knows I'm grateful, and God knows I'm hungry,' the master answered. But still he took his hands away from the plate and wiped them on his pants. He bowed his head. "'God!' Thank you for the food on this table. Thank you for the hands that made it. Thank you for the hands to earn. 
The big man looked up and saw the children weren't praying. Bang! went his palm on the table. Give thanks! he shouted. Everyone's head went down. God knows some at the table don't deserve the rewards in front of them, but it is by your good graces and charity that we give them another chance. Amen. Okay, everyone eat. Chapter 15 Shimira watched the signora looking oddly at the master for saying such a strange prayer, but he just ignored her and started eating. He pointed at the boys' dishes, signaling for them to dig in. The boys looked hungrily at the food, which Shamira had to admit really did look good. Lincoln seemed intrigued by what the master had done with the bread and oil. He reached across the table, took the oil, poured some on his plate, dipped the bread in it, and shoved it in his mouth. Mmm, this is good, he said, and took another piece of bread. Handsome went to cut up his chicken. There's no forks, he said. Nobody answered. Then he saw the master take his knife and cut his chicken into large chunks and pick up one of the pieces in his hand. He placed it on a piece of bread, wiped the bread through more of the gravy, and put it in his mouth. Handsome did the same. Mmm, he sighed. Just like at the Ristorante Medieval Delamento in Florence, the medieval rest. The master and signora continued eating, again ignoring his slip. Shamira's imagination still held her back from trying the chicken, but she was hungry, so she took bread and dipped the edge in the gravy. It was delicious. She looked at the others' plates and saw that their chicken was white and juicy, not pink and bloody. Her courage fortified, she cut off a small piece of the bird and put it in her mouth with her fingers. The image of the headless chicken quickly passed from her mind, and she ate heartily. The food put everyone in a better mood. Lincoln hadn't even tried his chicken yet, but was eating piece after piece of bread, soaking each with many ounces of the beautiful, rich olive oil. "'Oh, goodness,' the signora said. "'I've forgotten the wine.' "'Wine?' Handsome questioned, his eyebrows raising. "'For us?' Lincoln asked. "'Of course,' the signora replied, as she got up and took a ceramic pitcher from the shelf. She handed it to Shamira. "'Carmela, pour wine for everyone.' "'That you don't have to tell me twice,' she answered, smiling. "'Maybe this place isn't that bad after all,' Lincoln said, as the wooden cup in front of him was half-filled with a deep red-coloured liquid. He picked up the glass and put it to his mouth. "'Bang!' went the master's hand on the table again. "'What? A prayer for the wine?' Lincoln asked, his upper lip now sporting a red moustache. "'Dear Maruccio,' the signora said, walking over to Lincoln, "'into the blood of Cristo we always add the spirit of Christians from all over the world.' She had a second pitcher in her hand. From it she poured a clear liquid into Lincoln's cup. "'I drank blood?' he asked, aghast. "'No, no,' Handsome said. "'I think they're referring to the wine as a symbol of blood for the old Christian god Jesus, and to water as his followers, Christians.' "'See, we mix our spirit with the blood of the one true God,' the master said, crossing himself. "'You're putting water in the wine?' Chimera asked. "'Of course, dear,' the signora said, now serving the master. As she poured water into his mug, he put his hand up after only a few drops. "'The master likes more spirit in his spirit.' The teenagers finished their wine quickly, and were surprised when neither of the adults seemed to care when they refilled their glasses. Lincoln still hadn't touched his chicken, but he had eaten almost half a loaf of bread himself, all soaked heavily in olive oil, and washed it all down with red wine. 
The table became silent for the most part, except for the sound of happy eating and drinking. "'Oh, some news, husband,' the signora said. "'In the market this morning, Carmela and I saw Sancho.' "'How's his stock?' he grunted, without pausing his meal. "'It looked somewhat depleted.' "'Good,' the master said, masticating on a good-sized chunk of chicken and gulping down more wine. "'You'll never guess who was with him there. Podesta de la Scala himself, back from Padua early.' The master stopped eating. He stiffened. "'And?' He was thrilled to hear that his discs for the eyes were completed. I invited him to come here this afternoon, my husband, just after midday. She acted as if she were expecting an enthusiastic response to such good news. Bang! The master slammed both of his big hands on the table. Shamira and Handsome stopped eating at the noise, and Lincoln, who had finally had his fill of bread and wine, was just about to poke a knife into his chicken. The master angrily reached across the length of the table, grabbed Lincoln's plate, and snatched it from beneath his nose. Hey! Lincoln complained. Giuseppe, what in the... Signora began. This one! This one! The master shouted, pointing at Lincoln. He broke the Podesta's spectacles. The most perfect lenses I ever made shattered. "'Broke the Podesta's commission?' the signora cried, putting her hands to her face. "'But I told you he's coming to get them soon. I invited him.' "'Why do you think I'm yelling?' the master roared. "'To gain grace with heaven?' Shamira looked at the serious faces around the table, all but one. Hansom was acting as if he were watching a delightful theatrical play produced expressly for his benefit. "'This is a great story,' he said out loud. "'What?' the master screamed. "'You think this is funny?' "'Sorry, sorry,' Handsome said. He cleared his throat and said dramatically, "'Master, we can finish the lens quickly enough, can we not? "'We've almost finished the front part.' "'Hmm. It will take half an hour to finish the lens so it matches the other,' the master calculated aloud, "'and an hour to feed it to the frame. "'Yes,' We can do it. Wife, take this meat and keep it for the Podesta. Offer it to him to increase the delay of bringing him to the shop. Don't let it dry out. Hey, that's my chicken, Lincoln complained. I'm still hungry. The master's eyes went wide with rage. He looked as if he were about to explode. The signora intervened. Maruccio, we all must stop our meal. It is very important. The master is the only spectacle maker in Verona. All other spectacles are made in Venice and Murano. The Podesta there wants our Podesta to close our shop so they can retain a monopoly on discs for the eyes. The pair you broke was a gift to keep the nobleman our friend. But I'm still hungry, Lincoln began, but Handsome kicked him under the table. Then he said dejectedly, Okay, you can count on us, master, Handsome added. Pan, who was perched in Handsome's shoulder hem, was sitting next to Shamira. He had been spying around the room, taking everything in, still working on a plan to disrupt. Bingo, he said to himself. Uh, Mistress Shamira, I spy by the shelf some herbs that have been hung to dry. The one on the end is called the cassia, or senna plant. Its leaves are most potent in the way of a laxative. Without bringing suspicion upon yourself, grind up some of the leaves, soak them, and let the piece of chicken marinate in the senna juices. 
It will create a very humorous outcome when the Podesta visits and eats the chicken. The edges of Shamira's mouth crept up in a smile. The rest of my plan for disruption is almost complete. I shall inform you of it when we are all together in the shop. Romero, why do you still sit there by Carmela? the master growled. We've work to do. Adiamo, he said, and hurried the boys out the door. Shimira was once again left in the house with the signora. Come, Carmela, the signora said after the men left. We have work to do. Do you want me to marinate and wrap the chicken in a cloth to keep it moist, like Master Cagliari said, inquired Shimira. Why, Carmela, what a good girl to ask. Yes, you do that, and I will tidy the place. It must be just so for our noble guest. After all, the Podesta lives in a palace. So, while the signora was busy tidying, Shamira used her new herb-grinding skills to spice up the Podesta's next meal in a way that the enactors weren't expecting. Chapter 16 Lincoln was back to sweeping in the shop, but occasionally Hanson would ask him to fetch this or that supply so he wouldn't have to leave Master Cagliari's side. And for some reason Lincoln couldn't explain, he actually tried not to make a mistake when fetching things. He was in a better mood, too, now that his stomach was full of bread, oil, and wine, but it rankled at him that his piece of chicken was being given to that Podesta guy. Then came the first stomach gurgle. Wow! That was loud, he said to himself as he put a hand to where the noise came from. A few minutes later, the master removed the finished lens from the lathe and went over to the assembly table. He methodically began removing shards of glass from the broken half of the spectacle. Then the master started to install the new lens in the cleaned opening of the frame. Once again, Lincoln found himself fascinated not only with how neatly the master worked, but also with his patience. Then it happened again. Lincoln's stomach growled so loudly that both Handsome and Pan heard it. "'Whoa,' Handsome said. "'Your digestive system probably isn't used to only eating bread for a meal, especially with several goblets of wine, watered down or not,' Pan whispered. "'And the profuse amounts of olive oil must be causing the whole mess to travel through your digestive tract with great haste.' "'I never felt like this before,' Lincoln groaned. "'Probably because at home you wouldn't get away with eating such unbalanced meals,' Handsome said. "'There, it's gone away,' Lincoln said, breathing a sigh of relief. Then he hiccuped. "'You too,' the master ordered without looking up from his work. "'Stop talking!' Handsome took Lincoln aside and, making like he was talking to Lincoln, mumbled quietly. "'Pan, do you have enough input to disrupt yet?' If Mistress Shamira has been able to effect what I asked her to do in the kitchen, Pan whispered back to both of them, she'll have done her part. Now, this is what I have in mind for you two. Pan told the boys how each of them was going to cause the best-made plans of the history camp elders and AIs to go bad. That's fantastic, Handsome said. And mean, Lincoln added. I love it. "'I'm finished,' the master said, looking up from his labours. "'And no thanks to all your chattering. "'When I say quiet, I mean no talking.' The door to the shop opened. The signora walked in, followed by the tall Podesta della Scala and Shamira. "'Husband, look who's here,' the signora said. "'Our Podesta!' Master Cagliari was already on his feet. He went over and kissed the Podesta's hand. "'Welcome, Excellency, welcome again to my shop,' he said, bowing and genuflecting repeatedly. 
Grazie, Giuseppe, grazie. Is that them, my new discs for the eyes? He said, looking over at the spectacles on the table. Spettacolare. Yes, Excellency, the finest discs for the eyes I have ever produced. Just for you. Not even Florence could produce the like. May I? Of course, Excellency, they are yours. The enactor playing Mastino della Scala picked up the spectacles from the velvet cloth, perched them on the bridge of his long nose, and looked at an open book on the table. He moved his face back and forth to get the right focal length. Spettacolare, he repeated, smiling, the clearest lenses I have ever used, not a single scratch or bubble in the glass. And then he shook the other enactor's hand enthusiastically. The teens, on the other hand, weren't showing much of anything. They were listening to Pan. The real Podesta Mastino II della Scala would never have visited a workman's shop and stood around making idle chat. At the height of his powers, Mastino II was the richest man in Europe. Only the King of France was wealthier. Of course, he did have his comeuppance, and his wealth was seriously diminished, but even then he was a force to be reckoned with. "'When are we going to disrupt?' Lincoln mumbled quietly. "'If Mr. Shamira thoroughly marinated the chicken with the laxative and the Podesta ate it, then it has all begun.' "'Done and done,' Shamira whispered. "'You children,' the master said sternly, "'do not speak when we have such a guest, "'not unless you are spoken to. "'Remember to do and say exactly what I tell you all.' "'Giuseppe, thank you for such a wonderful gift,' the Podesta said. "'You are a true craftsman. "'I shall do everything I can to help you establish "'a lens-making business in Verona.' "'Ah, these must be your new apprentices,' he said, turning to the boys. "'Let the games begin,' Pan whispered. Chapter 17 "'Bow, bow to the Podesta,' Pan whispered to the teens with his sonic beam. "'Make them believe you're playing along.' Handsome bowed from the waist. "'Buongiorno, Podesta della Scala. My name is Romero.' "'Romero, I told you to speak only when you are spoken to,' the master chided. "'That's okay, Giuseppe,' the Podesto and actor said. He inspected Handsome. "'He speaks well, like an educated young man. "'This once I shall forgive him his air of etiquette. "'I thought he is fresh from the country?' "'Only this morning, Excellency,' the master said. "'Your master tells me you have promise as a lens-maker. "'What do you say to this young Romero?' "'However I may help my master, I will do it, Excellency,' Pan whispered in Handsome's ear. "'However I may help my master, I will do it, Excellency,' Handsome parroted. The three enactors perked up their ears at these words. "'Well said, young man,' the Podesta offered. He put the spectacles back on his nose, and they promptly fell off. He had to lurch forward in a very ungentlemanly fashion, catching them before they fell to the floor. "'See?' Lincoln said. It could happen to anyone, and he has a big nose. Maruccio, I said speak only when spoken to, the master said gruffly. Lincoln glared back at the master and then smiled wryly. So, uh, tell me, new apprentice Romero, the Podesta continued, 
as a young man with a possible future in the lens-making business could you imagine a day when discs for the eyes not only help people to do their close work but also help to see far oh that is impossible excellency the master interrupted a faraway object becomes blurred to the eye with even the finest lenses if you hold the lens at arm's length the image will become sharp but be upside down and small upside down you say truly yes hold your spectacles at arm's length and see the podesto did so and acted amazed fascinating oh our perfect opportunity pan whispered with enthusiasm handsome say not necessarily master not necessarily master handsome repeated what was that romero not necessarily master what are you talking about a lens can be ground that would correct a person's vision and allow them to see at a distance handsome repeated pan's words aloud don't talk nonsense the master laughed you've been here a day and already you're an expert a savant ha <laughs> allow me to explain allow me to explain handsome repeated it's impossible boy speak no more of it master Cagliari ordered let's hear what he has to say the podesta suggested the master took a deep breath and looked suspiciously at handsome after grinding your regular convex lens pan started after grinding your regular convex lens instead of turning the lens over and polishing it flat you create a concave lens within the convex one handsome repeated the operation of polishing a concave shape within the convex one you are talking foolishly the master contested if the lens is the same shape on both the outside and inside it will be as if it is flat it will not bend the image ah but if you make the inner grinding at a different angle the difference between the outer and inner pan continued feeding handsome's lines as he went will magnify or diminish the image as you wish so with the proper adjustments to this configuration you will create spectacles for people to see clearly at a distance the three enactors stood motionless all looking suspiciously at handsome then all at once their shoulders seemed to droop the master and signora put their heads down as if to say that all their work today had been a waste the signora and actor turned to the other two i would say we have a genioso here the master grunted ah oh. suddenly the enactor playing the podesta groaned and grabbed his stomach he looked up a pained grimace covering his face and hyperventilated what's wrong signor podesta handsome asked sincerely stomachache shimira inquired looking innocent something you ate maybe lincoln asked sarcastically what's the matter georgie the female enactor asked the doubled over enactor are you ill must have he managed to say been the he gasped chicken yeah my chicken lincoln said angrily and i'm still hungry find a way to break his spectacles again pan urged don't be afraid break them don't worry about me being afraid lincoln said stepping forward and looking the podesta in the eye hey mr podunka did they tell you how we had to fix your new specs cause i broke them he grabbed the tortoiseshell spectacles from the enactor and put them on his own nose just like this and he flung out his arms and bowed this time the spectacles fell to the ground flat both the lenses and the frame shattered genial so the podesta groaned for sure the signora added no accent in her voice she took hold of her pained associate's arm as he began to slump to the floor. 
"'What did you hard cases do?' the enactor playing the master asked accusingly. "'Did you poison him?' the seigneur asked. The fellow playing the podesta now jerked up straight and grabbed his buttocks with both hands. A look of absolute surprise came to his face. "'Nothing that serious,' a grinning handsome said. "'Now it's you with the stomach ache,' Lincoln laughed. "'How do you like it?' "'Are you all right, Georgie?' A long, shrill raspberry came from the Podesta's clutched bottom. "'I'm doing a spectral analysis of the enactor's sweat,' whispered Pan with a laugh. "'His discomfort should be relieved soon. Any moment now.' "'Stand back! He's gonna blow!' Lincoln shouted. "'Oh!' the now pale enactor squealed. He bunny-hopped towards the door, his buttocks even more firmly clenched. Oh my, oh no, oh no, he said with fear, and absolutely no Italian accent. He hopped again. Then a penguin walked quickly out the door, a long, whining fart escaping from him. The woman and actor ran out with him. All three teens were doubled up in fits of laughter. The enactor playing the master took off his specs and looked deep in thought. He tapped his temple and looked down to his right, obviously getting a message on his implant. He grunted took a breath, and stood up straight. He glared at the children and started shouting in character again. "'You'll shame me! You insult me! You disgrace yourselves in front of our noble guest!' Lincoln stopped laughing and stood his ground. "'You gave him my dinner!' "'You're hungry!' the enactor shouted back. "'You'll get no food from my table. Get over there with your ungrateful friends!' He pushed Lincoln away. "'You're all thankless, monstrous children,' the master raged. "'Listen, Giuseppe, or whatever your name is,' Handsome said. "'You seem like a nice guy, and you're a hell of an actor, but we don't want to play any more.' "'We want to go home,' Shamira insisted. "'You gave away my chicken!' "'You think this is play? This is work. You must do it. If you do not work, you do not eat. If you do not eat... You perish. There are many starving youths who ask me every month if I will become their master, and you won't work? Giuseppe, give it up, Handsome said. And don't dare call me by my Christian name, he yelled. You haven't earned the right. I am your master. His face had become a deep purple. The veins on his neck bulged out. He took half a step forward and towered over Lincoln. Looking down at him, he growled his next command. Spittle flew in the boy's face. All of you, go to the loft. Stay there till I say otherwise. I must think what to do with you. But Lincoln wouldn't have any of it. No way, Giuseppe, he cried, and then he stomped on the master's foot. Ow! The enactor screamed, accentless. His big hands became like claws as he curled his blush-stained fingers with the pain. Then he opened one of them and slapped Lincoln on the head. Ah! Lincoln screamed. That hurt! And he hurled himself at the master, pummeling the large man's abdomen. Handsome grabbed Lincoln and pulled him back toward the open shop door. Lincoln struggled and almost got free till Shamira jumped in and helped Handsome pull him away. The enactor rocked back and forth on his heels, trying to take his weight off his bruised toes. "'Come on, man,' Handsome urged. "'Let's get out of here.' "'You'll have some explaining to do when I tell on you,' Lincoln screamed. "'You'll be in big trouble. You hit me. You're not supposed to hit. I'm going to tell my mom. "'Go to the loft and stay there,' the master shouted. "'Get out! Get out! Get out of my shop!' And then he picked up a chair and threw it against the wall. It splintered into pieces. 
The three teenagers had never seen an adult so out of control, but Lincoln kept struggling. Stop, Shamira urged Lincoln. You really made him mad. He's not acting. I said go to the loft, the master screamed. Now! He bellowed in a voice so loud the teenagers froze on the spot. Get out! Get out of my sight! Chapter 18 Several hours later, the sun was setting and the children were still in the loft of the barn. Hansom was looking out the haymow door, keeping an eye on the house to see if and when the enactors were coming to see them. Shamira was drawing. She had taken a piece of paper from the kitchen and slipped it in her apron pocket. Using a piece of charcoal she found in the barn, she was sketching a picture of the holographic imp. Pan, although only a projection and not beholden to the laws of the universe, was making it look as if he were swinging on the top rung of the loft's ladder, occasionally doing a handstand, till Shamira chided him to pose again. "'They just lit a lamp,' Hansom informed the others. "'I can see them through the window now. They're sitting at the table, talking.' He turned to Pan. "'What do you think they're discussing?' "'How should I know? I am a hologram, not a mind-reader.' "'What do you mean, I'm just a hologram?' Handsome asked. "'You're the one who got them so mad at us.' "'Isn't that what you wanted?' "'But the game didn't last very long,' Handsome complained. "'It wasn't much fun.' "'Well, excuse me if I get results quickly,' Pan retorted indignantly. Shamira giggled. "'Your idea about the laxative was brilliant. "'Did you see the way the Podesta guy ran?' she laughed. "'But he really wasn't hurt, was he?' "'No, and thank you for your compliment, mistress. I'm glad someone appreciates me. Yes, it was a brilliant plan. May I see my picture now?' "'Just finished,' Chimera said. "'There.' Pan jumped off the ladder and scampered to her side. "'You are quite talented, young mistress,' he said. "'Not really,' she answered offhandedly. "'I beg to differ.' "'Are they eating supper at the house?' Lincoln asked handsome. He was just coming up the ladder from the lower barn. He, like the enactor playing the Podesta, had some gastric problems. He found an old cracked chamber pot in one of the stables. "'I can't see clearly, but I think the Signora is doing something by the fireplace,' Handsome answered. "'Well, I hope so. After what I just did, I'm really hungry again,' he whined. "'And it really hurt. It was all red and crushed out like a tornado.' "'We heard,' Handsome said. "'Spare us the details,' Shamira said. That's what you get for stuffing yourself with bread, oil, and wine. You eat like a twelve-year-old. I'm thirteen. Then grow up. They sat in silence for a few moments. Then Lincoln, obviously still in deep thought, finally said, But did you hear what they said about us? They said genioso. They think we're all geniuses. Everyone fell silent at this remark. Pan shook his head and rolled his eyes, literally. What? Lincoln asked. "'You idiot!' Handsome retorted. "'They don't think we're geniuses. "'Saying genioso is code that they knew we have a genie hidden somewhere.' "'Everyone laughed at Lincoln. "'Then Handsome became serious. "'Quiet!' "'He cocked his head to hear something. "'Then they all heard it, footsteps below in the barn. "'Someone's coming,' he whispered. "'Is it the master?' Handsome asked. "'I can't see it,' Shamira said, peering down the loft's entrance.' It's too dark in the barn already. The ladder creaked as it took someone's weight. They're coming up. Pan, get back in your lamp. In a blur of colors, the hologram disappeared back into Handsome's shoulder. Lincoln grimaced as he heard the sound of someone slowly taking one step at a time.
"'Who's there?' Handsome called into the darkness. "'Is that you, Giuseppe? I mean, Master?' The latter groaned again. "'Yeah,' Lincoln said, peering over the precipice. "'I, I guess I'm sorry I stepped on your foot, but you hit me.' The latter creaked twice more, then silence. "'Is that you, Podesta?' Shamira asked. "'I hope your stomach's better.' The loft was in a grey twilight, but the square hole in the lower barn seemed like a portal to a silent black pit. The children looked at each other. "'Signora?' Shamira queried. Finally, a deep and melodious male voice, which was speaking in verse, echoed from the abyss. "'Not she.' "'Who?' the teens asked in unison. "'Tis one who will sweep the cobwebs from your eyes "'and leave you with wondrous wise. "'It kind of sounds like that Polata fella, Lincoln guessed. "'No, not he,' the voice responded. "'Who are you, then?' Shimira asked. "'Allow me ascend and share your faces. "'That's what friends do to be in each other's graces.' "'We're not stopping you,' Handsome retorted. Your beneficent invitation I shall take. A few seconds later, the mysterious head of the stranger appeared. Greeting young students of life from an older one of the same. The man stepped into the loft and looked smilingly into the eyes of each teenager. He had a long aquiline nose and a pointed chin made more severe by a dark goatee. His confident grey eyes and bushy eyebrows, long and twisted at the ends, gave him an eccentric but interesting look. Wiry salt-and-pepper hair fell down to his shoulders. It surrounded his chiselled face like a lion's mane. He was dressed in a simple toga, from under which finely made sandals peaked. "'Greetings, young ones.' "'Who are you?' Shamira asked. "'My name is Aramis.' "'My name is... Handsome began to say, but Aramis put up a hand for him to stop. Handsome, Shamira, and Lincoln, your faces and cases are known to me. He's one weird an actor, Lincoln said. Is he supposed to be from Verona? No, I, I think he's a history camp elder, Handsome said. Come to read us the riot act? No, that is not my charge. For the act of riot you have already performed well. Therefore you must have already read and studied it for yourselves. "'Are you going to send us home, then?' Shamira asked. "'No, for home you're not bound. "'You have much to experience and learn, "'and from it you will prosper ere you all shall burn.' "'I don't understand,' Handsome said. "'Yeah, and why are you talking in poetry?' Lincoln asked. "'That's the way we talk from whence I come. "'Some verse blank, some is rhymed, "'some's out of sync, and some is timed.' But if you listen carefully, if you open an ear, what's between the lines will soon be clear. Do you have anything that rhymes with food? Lincoln asked. My stomach's queasy. I'm really hungry. Oh, where you're all going, you can have the food you seek, if you work willingly and act verily meek. Oh, you're taking us somewhere else? Handsome said. "'Yes, yes, you've done all the damage here "'and displayed your disdain for the help which was offered "'that was there for your gain. "'And now I must take you to an old time that's real, "'where all of your angers can be taken to heal.' "'What the zip did he just say?' Lincoln asked. "'I think he's saying he'll take us somewhere "'that's going to be rougher than here,' Shamira suggested. "'Another history camp?' Handsome asked. 
So if Verona in the 14th century hasn't been hard enough, where next? History camp, nay, but Verona's the place, and the era's the same. But this time that fair setting will be not a game. For this Aramis comes from a future long hence, to whisk you all to a Verona that's truly past tense. Where they say to you, work or don't eat, ere to die, this will happen for sure, whether you grumble and cry. Handsome stepped forward and looked straight into Aramis's relaxed eyes. Elder Aramis, are you saying you're from the future and you're going to take us back to Verona to the real 14th century? And that if we don't give in and work, we can starve to death? Is that what he's really saying? Shamir asked, a bit of both fear and wonder in her voice. It is as Handsome suggests. Handsome began to snicker, then outright laugh. This is really rich. He's expecting us to believe that he can take us back in time. Look, why don't you guys just admit that you've been beaten and let us go home? Yeah, Lincoln said. I won't even tell that you guys hit me. Aramis ignored the boys. Instead, he looked over at the drawing in Shamira's hand. Ah, look at this image of the pan you drew. You have dexterous hands that belong to but few. It's nothing, she said, and let the drawing fall into the straw. An eye that so senses, and a hand that can do. Where you are going, these talents, this asset, might just get you through. Didn't you hear me, Handsome said? We don't believe you. Aye, I heard you, my boy. And if it's for proof that you're fretting, play along more, and soon enough it will be proof you'll be getting. Handsome looked deeply into Aramis's eyes, their gazes meeting in a momentary silence. "'Is it true?' Handsome asked quietly. "'You're really from the future?' "'It's true.' "'Wow!' Lincoln said enthusiastically. "'If you really are from the future, that would be... zippy.' The sound of the house's wooden door latch was heard through the crisp night air. The voices of the enactors, the master, Signora Cagliari, and the Podesta, could be heard in the barnyard." "'Oh, Signor Podesta,' the master's voice called out, "'it is so Christian of you to forgive the children their mistakes. "'I'm sure they'll be good now.' "'Yes, but hold the lamp higher, Giuseppe,' the Podesta's voice said. "'I want to see where I'm going, not step in a cow pie.' "'Giuseppe, take care with the jug, too,' the Signora's voice called out a bit shrewishly. "'You're spilling the wine.' Just you mind the new meal you cooked for the children, wife. Don't drop the plate. Aramis laughed. It seems these historical actors have forgiven your fibs, and do bring you a repast to fill Lincoln's ribs. We must now act in haste to make good on my crime, but I must first change my raiment to suit our new clime, to change them post-quick, my hand I thus flick. Aramis flicked his wrist, and his toga transmuted its shape, thickness, and color. In an instant, he was wearing a fourteenth-century monk's cassock. The children looked as if he had performed magic. "'How in the—' Handsome began. "'Technology is all. Just technology.' The light from the enactor's lamp was now throwing long shadows into the interior of the lower barn. It spilled upward through the ladder's opening and into the loft. The signora called out, "'Children, we bring your food. All is forgiven.' "'Quiet, woman,' the master said. "'One does not have to show weakness when being kind. "'These children have done mean things and must know it. "'Now hold the lamp, and I'll go up the ladder first. 
The sound of the master grunting was heard as he started his climb. "'Be careful, Giuseppe,' the signora's voice said. "'You're spilling the wine!' "'Time is short. We must step through yon port.' He flicked his wrist toward the open haymow, and a whistling wind began. The loft filled with a bright gold light, and an outward wind sucked out loose straw from the floor. A large funnel shape appeared, composed of what looked like oversized gold-colored orbs of light the size of a man's fist. There were millions of them, a massive stream which rushed downwards and converged into an opening little more than the width of a pencil lead. It looked like a giant holographic sand falling through a giant hourglass. Evervescing up from the stream were larger bubbles of translucent light, shimmering globes, varying in size from grapefruits to beach balls that bounced and careened all over the place. The bright sands and energy of time rolls and falls before you. They flow through a portal and into realities long since lived. Come, let us join forebears who will become mentors. Handsome inched his way to the haymow door and looked down. The fast-descending stream of spheres inexplicably appeared at the funnel's top and disappeared into the tiny point at the bottom. It was moving so fast it made him dizzy with vertigo. "'It's all going through that tiny hole. We'll be crushed,' Handsome said. "'From here, that's what it appears. From there, it opens up into forever.'" Several of the large globes of light bounded into the barn, flying straight at Lincoln. He tried to duck, but like large, self-determined soap bubbles, they swerved. When they reached him, though, they didn't burst. They flew right through the boy, as if they both existed in different dimensions. Lincoln looked even more frightened. "'They like you,' Aramis laughed. Then he commanded, "'Come, give me your hands.' We shall ride the sands of time through the hourglass of the cosmos. The frightened teenagers each took a step back. The master was now halfway up the ladder. The light behind him cast his long shadow across the barn's thatched ceiling. We've no time to lose. Aramis grabbed Lincoln's arm and forced the teen's hand to touch his monk's robe. Lincoln tried to pull away. Hey, my hand is stuck, he cried. Your cloak won't let me go. Make it let go. Handsome, coming to Lincoln's aid, also grabbed Aramis by the gown. "'It's got me, too!' Handsome cried. "'Fear not, young friends, it's all just technology and time.' Aramis turned to Shamira, who was now cowering by the ladder. He smiled and held out his hand. "'Come, brave, adventurous Shamira. Come, all of you. Fear not the lessons of life. Take the hand that I offer, and trust me, I pray.' This adventure you'll cherish for the rest of your days. Come. Shamira took Aramis's hand. The master's head crowned through the opening. We're away. The four rushed toward the vortex and jumped out of the haymow door. For an instant, they were suspended twenty feet above the barnyard. Then they tumbled down the swirling rabbit hole. The vortex collapsed, and silence once again reigned in the barnyard. Master Cagliari's head popped through to the loft, smiling and enthusiastic. "'Bambini!' he shouted. "'I bring you supper and a promise to start anew.' But all was quiet. "'The storm's abated!' he called, still in character. When he realized he had no audience, he relaxed. "'Colleague! They're gone!' And with that, he took a big squig from the wine jug and started down the ladder.' 
All that was left in the loft, lying in the straw, was Shamira's lonely charcoal drawing of Pan. You've come to the end of this installment of The Lens and the Looker. We hope you enjoyed it. To find out how to get the other installments, go to www.lauriekaufman.com. That's www.lorykaufman.com.